Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. So we are in the midst still of the great season of the manifestation, the incarnation, the epiphanic. Boy, I could use all kinds of words. It's all about God showing forth, showing that he is with us, as we say during the Christmas time in the Byzantine church, God is with us. He is with us, incarnated himself, took on all that he was not and remained who he was. In other words, he became his own creation took on his own creation, infused himself in his own creation, revealed himself, revealed the quality, the character, the holiness of creation, especially the human form, the human person, the human nature. At the same time, we're in between the heart of what was the season, or is still the season of the incarnation, and the next season, the next cycle in the life of Christ. That is the preparation, the Lenten season, for his suffering, death, and of course, resurrection. See, the church liturgical cycle is based upon the incarnation, the coming of God, and then what happens to him, why he came. Basically, that's how you understand the whole liturgical calendar in the churches east and west, in particular the east. It's a very, very clear descending action. You know, he descends, he incarnates himself, he condescends, as we say, he empties himself for our sake. He didn't have to be baptized or circumcised or born in a manger in a cave among animals. But he did so out of his tremendous love for us, as though he could not think of something yet more to do for us, another way to humble himself. In fact, this action of descending continues then even into what will be the resurrection season, the season of Christ's death and resurrection, because he will descend into hell, as we say in the Creed, and as we see in the icon, a very dramatic portrayal called the harrowing of hell in the Eastern churches, Christ literally going down into hell, breaking the bonds of hell and releasing Adam and Eve, which of course symbolizes all humanity. And then there's the rising action. You know, as we have this descending action during this part of the season, the liturgical calendar, we then start to go back up once we sort of 
in a sense, hit bottom. Actually, we went below bottom. God himself, in the form of Jesus Christ, after he dies on the cross, his body is taken down. In between then, he enters into hell. It goes into the bowels of Hades, the deepest, ugliest part, and does battle with Satan and breaks his power. So he goes as low as he can possibly go. In fact, when he was baptized in the River Jordan, of course, God has it all planned. He's a great setup artist. Jesus is baptized in the what really is the lowest point on the earth's surface. The Jordan River descends and descends until it comes into the Dead Sea. That's why it's called the Dead Sea, because nothing can grow in it, because just a bunch of minerals and salt come into that sea. In fact, when you go there, if you've ever been there to the Holy Lands and you visit the Dead Sea, it's always fun to go in it and actually literally sit on top of the water just by yourself. You, you actually are buoyed up on top of the water. That's how thick it is how full of minerals it is. And they, there's this mud that's around the edge of that Dead Sea that people there use to put on their skin as a healthy or curative ointment, and then they wash it off in the Dead Sea. So Christ, even that detail, Christ chooses to be baptized, to descend into the water in what is the lowest part on the earth's surface. And then the rising action will occur. And that's when we'll come gradually into the season of the resurrection and his ascension. Then he sends down the Holy Spirit. The last descent that has to happen is the sending of the Holy Spirit. All of which so that we may ascend, ascend to heaven, ascend to our destiny that God intended from the very beginning, which would not have really changed had Adam and Eve not sinned. So Christ himself God himself had to come down and become the new Adam. Somebody had to do it right. And of course, the Virgin Mary, the new Eve. And now we then have the completion of this plan of redemption, of salvation. God will eventually mount human nature on the very throne of heaven with him. For we are made in the image and likeness of God. And he intended for us to have a splendid beginning and a royal, kingly ending, which is really not an ending more like a destiny, because it goes on forever in heaven, the wedding feast of the land, the heavenly kingdom. So it's a marvelous rhythm of descent and ascent. And we share in that rhythm through this liturgical life, through the liturgical rhythm of the, ch rhythm of the church, which is all the more reason why it's so important to be part of the liturgical rhythm of the church, to praise the church praise, to pray with the church, to move with the church through the year, which means attending, being observant, especially of the holy days, the feast days, the, the different readings, the texts, the prayers, the saints, because it's all part of this beautiful rhythm that we take part in. Remember, Christ's descent, Christ's birth, Christ dying and rising is our baptism, our birth, our dying, our rising. Whatever happened with Christ happens to us. He summed up in himself the entire human experience. He took into himself sin. He, he himself did not sin, but he became everything that we were except sin, but he took on our sin so that he could defeat their power once and for all. And so through the genius of the church, and this is why church is so important, through the genius of the church, we enter into that cycle of Christ himself, his own descent and ascension. In fact, in the Synaxarian, it's also called the Prologue from Oakrid. This is a wonderful, wonderful book. 
It comes in two volumes, sometimes four volumes, depending on the publication. But it's a very old book, and it's the book that has daily meditations and the stories of each saint and liturgical event on the liturgical calendar, and wonderful meditations, and even homilies. Recently, this month, speaking of the significance of church, in the Synaxarian, it says this, Why must one obey the church, and not some man whose thinking is opposed to that of the church, eminent or intellectually gifted though that man may be? Because the church was founded by the Lord Jesus Christ, and is guided by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Also, because the church signifies the community of the saints, an orchard of choice, fruit-bearing trees. If a man remains opposed to the community of the saints, that means he is unholy. Why, therefore, listen to him? The church is an enclosure, says the wise Chrysostom. If you are within, the wolf cannot enter. But if you stray outside... The wild beast will get you. Do not wander from the church. There is nothing more impregnable than the church. She is your hope and your salvation. She is higher than the heavens, firmer than the rock, wider than the world. She never grows old, but is forever renewing her youth. And again, this is from the Synaxarian, some of this being said by St. John Chrysostom. Highly recommend this book or this volume, the series, should be in every home, especially every home would be every Eastern Catholic. Sit around the dinner table. And first of all, you have to have a, a dinner, a meal together as a family, which unfortunately is not all that common today. It used to be very common. But try to have a dinner, especially supper together. And read a passage. Read the saint of the day. It would be marvelous. It, it would really contribute to the spirituality to the domestic church of your home, which all of us should be practicing, the domestic church, where there's a continuity between what we live at home and what goes on at church. This is called integration instead of compartmentalization. We just don't go to church. Okay, we did the church thing, got in our obligation, but it has no real connection or relevancy with the rest of our lives. We get back to the real world. No, 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 no. The real world is in church. It's in the liturgical life where we touch heaven, heaven and earth unite. That's reality. That is reality. That is what God intended. And we try to then stretch that into our daily lives. In other words, we try to bring reality where there is basically unreality, although we think it's reality. The reality is the mystical, so evident, so evident in the liturgies of the church, especially the Eastern churches. We're all about entering into that mystical meaning of something, which means the ultimate, the real meaning of something. Let's face it, the real thing is that which lasts forever. So that's what we set our sights on, and we see everything in this life in that way. And this is what the liturgy does. Not only does it give us the vision, but it actually immerses us in the next life, through the Eucharist, to the prayers, to the icons, through everything. And so church is the only place, the only venue, the only entity in which we can have one foot in heaven while we're still on earth. You cannot do it any other way. You cannot just do it in your own home, the privacy of your own bedroom or walking down the street. Yeah, you can have communion with God. You can have thoughtfulness, reflection, and prayer, but you cannot be intimate, that intimate with God, with heaven, except through the liturgy. So no matter what's going on in the church, remember what the church is really about. It's not about 
the foibles of human weakness. That's kind of an add-on to the church because the church is manifested, incarnated in human beings who are fallible. Go underneath that and see the mystery that the church alone immerses us into. I'm Father Thomas Lee on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. What is the Byzantine Catholic faith and its spirituality? Would you like to learn about the art of bringing others to Christ and learn about unlocking the mystery of the faith by taking an introduction to Eastern Christian Bible study? Your gateway to learn more about these and other topics and experience the richness of the Byzantine Church is as close as your digital device. Visit God With Us Online, which offers free live webinars. Registration is easy. All you have to do is register at easterncatholic.org forward slash events. That's easterncatholic.org forward slash events. Your Byzantine Catholic faith will grow as you experience these free live webinars, which will give you greater insights about the varied and rich aspects of the faith. Visit easterncatholic.org forward slash events. God With Us is an outreach project of the Eparchial Directors of Religious Education and the Eastern Catholic Associates and is dedicated to the catechetical renewal of Eastern Catholics in the United States in accord with the Church's call for a new evangelization. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. And now, some Byzantine spirituality from Father Tom Loya. Let's drop in on Father Tom as he counsels a single mom. Yes, come in. Come in. Have a seat. What can I do for you? I'm feeling burned out, okay? Frustrated. Your son won't listen to you. You can't discipline him. It's difficult being a single mom. I know, I understand. Well, listen, mom. Stop trying to be father for him. Stop trying to discipline him. Stop trying to do for him what only his father can do or a man can do. He needs to be put around things that have to do with the male world, good mentors. You can't give him what only dad can give him. Okay, dad's not around. I realize that. That's unfortunate. But he has to be turned over to the male world. See, a boy, when he reaches around teenagehood, has to be turned over to the male world to become a man. There's something that the mother cannot give him, that only the father can give him, or other positive male role models. But mom, there is something very valuable that you can give him. Your image and modeling of authentic femininity. See, he needs that, like a touchstone. As he learns to be a man, he needs to know what real womanhood is. And that's what you can model for him. Let's make an appointment and talk more about this next week. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. 
We are in the midst of the, well, towards the end of the season of the manifestation, the incarnation, the birth of Christ, his self-emptying, his condescension. We're in the midst of that, actually in the midst of winding out of it. At the same time, we're in between that season and the approaching Lent. In fact, next week in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, there will already be the first of the four preparatory Sundays before Lent. Can you believe it? We hardly get our Christmas decorations down. In fact, maybe they're not even down. They don't have to be down until after the first week of February, actually, because that's when we celebrate the presentation, the showing forth of Christ in the temple. That pretty much marks the end of the descent cycle of the church, of Christ's plan of salvation of his life. The rest now will start the ascent towards his resurrection and ascension. In between, we've got some interesting persons to look at from the Byzantine liturgical tradition and also from the monastic tradition. The Feast of St. Macarius is today, January 19th. He was an Egyptian, one of the contemporaries of St. Anthony the Great. Now, St. Anthony the Great, he's not to be confused with the one that we pray to if we lose something, that he's the Western saint. He came later. This is St. Anthony the Great who started monasticism in the East, in the Egyptians of the East. Okay, so Macarius, his father was a priest. He married in obedience to his parents' wishes, but his wife died very soon, and he went off into the desert of Scetus. There he spent 60 years in toil and struggle, both physical and spiritual, for the kingdom of heaven. When he was asked why he was so thin, both when he ate and when he fasted, he replied, from fear of God. He succeeded so greatly in purifying his mind from evil thoughts and his heart from evil desires that God endowed him with abundant wonder-working gifts, such that he even raised the dead from the grave. His humility made men and demons marvel. A demon once said to him, There's only one thing which I cannot excel you, that is not in fasting, for I never eat, nor in vigils, for I never sleep. Then what is it? asked Macarius. Your humility, replied the demon. Macarius often said to his disciple, Paphnutius, Condemn no man, and you will be saved. He lived for ninety years. Before his death, St. Anthony and Sipcomius appeared to him from the other world and told him that he would die in nine days. And so it came to pass. Cherubim also appeared to him before his death and revealed the heavenly blessed words to him in a vision, praising his labors and virtues, and told him that they had been sent to take his soul to the heavenly kingdom. He entered into the rest in the year 390 AD. So, You see what happened here? And this is what monasticism was known for. This is the bottom line of monasticism. It's the bottom line of really of Christian spirituality. What you see, especially in the East, monasticism, as St. John Paul II said, is the reference point. Monasticism is the reference point for all the baptized. In other words, that's the real thing. We all have to be monks, even if we're married. That's right. You have to have an element of monasticism in your marriage, which means putting God first self-denial, dying to self, rising to the other, being charitable, praying, fasting, that's monasticism. And above all, being humble. Let me tell you, humility would go a long way in marriages. I like to call that deferential love. The bowing to one another, making all about the other one first. Looking at yourself first instead of blaming them. That would go a long way to helping and saving marriages. And we see that exemplified in monasticism. So here in the story of Macarius from the Synaxarian, even the devil says, you know, I can do just as well as you or better at fasting and other things, but the thing I can't do that you do is your level of humility. 
As I mentioned in the Synaxarian, there are meditations that are presented, which are really very worthwhile. Here's the one on Macarius. The examples of the meek enduring of violence that we find in the Holy Fathers are given to us to marvel at. Returning once on the path to a cell, Macarius the Great saw a robber carrying his things out of it and loading them onto a donkey. Macarius said nothing to him and even helped him to get everything loaded, saying to himself, We brought nothing into this world. Another elder, when robbers had taken everything from his cell, looked around and saw that they had left a bundle of money, which had been lying hidden somewhere. So he quickly took up this bundle, called to the robbers, and gave it to them. Again, a third elder, finding themselves in the act of plundering his cell, called to them, Hurry, hurry, don't let the brothers find you, or they'll stop me, fulfilling Christ's command. Quote, Of him that takes away your goods, ask them not again. Unquote. Luke chapter 6, verse 30. How about that for humility? They helped the person that was robbing them. What will we do? Shoot them. Apprehend them. Call the police. Tase them. Sue them. Take them to jail. I'm not saying we shouldn't stop intruders and thieves. But again, we just have this marvelous, marvelous example that comes really only from monasticism of the level of humility that made for a holy person. It was modeled by the monk. So, a little bit about St. Macarius. And again, we're reading from the Synaxarian. So, we're going to look at another saint. That'll be tomorrow's saint, January 20th. A holy father, Euthemius the Great. Now, he was born in the town of Melitene near the river Euphrates in 377 of noble and eminent parents. And he was their only son. Now, the river Euphrates is where Iraq is, the Tigris and Euphrates River. His mother, Dionysia, had prayed for a child and had a heavenly vision concerning his birth. He lived in asceticism from his youth, at first in the vicinity of his town, but then after a visit to Jerusalem at the age of 29 in the wilderness of Faran, he lived between Jerusalem and Jericho. He filled his days and nights with prayer, meditation, contemplation, and physical toil. Many disciples gathered round him, such as Syriac the Hermit, Sava the Sanctified, the Altistus, and others. He was, by God's gift, a great worker of wonders. He drove out demons and healed grave illnesses, brought forth water in the desert, multiplied bread and prophesied. He taught his monks the love of hardship, saying, If you eat bread that comes not from your own labors, that means you eat the labor of another. When one of the younger brethren desired to fast more than the others, he forbade him and ordered him to come to the common table so that he should not become proud through his too great fasting. He also said that it is not good for a monk to move from place to place, for he said, a tree that is frequently transplanted does not bear fruit. Whoever desires to do good can do it in the place where he is. On love, he said, as salt is to bread, so is love to the other virtues. Euthemius the Great went off into the desert in the first week of the Great Fast and remained there in silence and meditation on God until before Easter. During his lifetime, a great monastery grew up near his cave, which was for centuries as full of monks as a hive of bees. His last command was that there should be loving hospitality to guests in the monastery, and that its gates should never be closed. He entered into rest at the age of 97. Patriarch Anastasius of Jerusalem was at his funeral. The patriarch waited the entire day while a great mass of people gave the saint the last kiss, and only in the evening was he able to finish the funeral. On the seventh day after his death, Euthemus appeared to his disciple, Domitian, with light and joy. Saint Euthemus was true son of light, he entered into rest in the year 473 A.D. So, 
These monks and these stories, some of them could have been maybe perhaps a little embellished, perhaps not, because they're very consistent. These monks, these holy men that practice this kind of humility, immerse themselves in the prayer of the church, focused entirely on God, fasted, did ascetical disciplines like we can't imagine. They grew in holiness and they had these powers. Like it says, his monastery, Euthemus's monastery, was was as filled as a beehive with monks. People would follow. They wanted to become part of what this particular monk was about or that particular monk was about. The holiness must have been so alluring. And again, we have to remember that the great monks, the monastic tradition that came out of the East, that is the reference point for all of us. We all have to be good monks in some way or have that element of monasticism in our lives. That's what makes for holiness. And we have the witness of many centuries of the church of these great holy spiritual guides of Eastern monasticism. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Check out EWTN's official YouTube channel. Just follow the link on our homepage at EWTN.com or go to YouTube.com slash EWTN. Watch EWTN's live shows or today's homily from the Daily Mass. Click the upload button to see our most recent clips. You can also find all of EWTN YouTube content by clicking the playlist button. It's all on the official EWTN YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash EWTN. Visit today. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!